0: Well, it's August here at Red, which means that it's August Pledge Drive. So if you call Red home, we'd love you to pray about seeding the next season as we pledge our next 12 months of giving. So if you're not giving, you can start giving, you can continue your current giving, or if you feel the Lord leading you, you can increase your giving. So head to the Red Connect page, click on the pledge tile. And pledge what you're going to give in the next 12 months as we seed the next season of what God is doing here at Red. Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect, redchurch.org.au. Hey Red Church, can you believe it's been 10 weeks in this series, Our Live's His Vision? It's been fantastic exploring what it means to follow Jesus in this time. Having such rich teaching and hearing from people from around the world about this. I've really enjoyed it and if you've missed one, I encourage you to head back and listen because they all work together really nicely. But why did we do this? Why did we spend 10 weeks on this topic? Well, I'd love to explore that today. I love looking at big picture. And so let's zoom out together and look at what brought us to this point. Why did we choose to begin walking down this path? Well, last year, as we all know, has given us an abundance of time to reflect on things. And when we initially had to change to go online, it was pretty chaotic, learning how to produce a service. But after a little while, a few months in, things settled down. And what I mean by that is, yes, it was still a lot of work to put on online service, but there was this quiet that came because a lot of other things moved away or dropped. We didn't have to keep producing all these programs or different events. Sundays kept happening, but that also meant there was time to be still and maybe hear from Holy Spirit something that he'd been trying to convey to us. And so when we take those opportunities to reflect, we remember that God is always unearthing something in us, collectively, individually. He's always providing opportunity in circumstances to grow in our trust and dependence on Him. And so as we spent some of last year in that quiet, in that space that we would probably never have orchestrated ourselves, something emerged. Holy Spirit revealed something to us. As we sat and considered what does it look like to move forward, what happens to the church when we can't lead? How, how do we lead in this time? What will happen to our people, to our faith? What happens to Red Church? Those questions illuminated something else. That actually, what we're really asking is what happens when we're not in control? When we can't lead in the way that we want to lead? And Holy Spirit, in his beautiful, gentle way, brought conviction and exposed that that we had of wanting to control and wanting to influence in a particular way, thinking that that was what would drive Red Church. So thankful for that revelation. It was an extremely humbling moment and an important reminder that Red Church is actually God's. He planted her. He sees her flourish and he'll continue to see it grow and endure. The church is God's. And so Holy Spirit brought us to that point where we had to confess and return red church back to God, release it back to Him again because we're not the ones in control and we get to partner with Him, which is the great joy of it, but its success is not dependent on us. God has seen His church through so many things, generation after generation. We just happen to find ourselves in a particular time with a pandemic that is shaping it or that has influenced us but throughout the years things have happened where god has prolonged or protected his church other people have been through circumstances that alter their lives so what does it look like to understand to grow in hearing what god wants to say through our circumstances to uh, identify that opportunity to grow in our trust and dependence on god Well, let's look at some biblical wisdom. The Bible isn't just a book of good stories. It actually reflects humanity's relationship with God and what it means to follow him. It also speaks of who God is. So let's jump in. I want to look at the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. They actually go together. They were taken apart later on in translations, but it's one story throughout. At the beginning of Ezra, we find the Israelites making their way back to Jerusalem. This is 50 years after spending time in exile in Babylon, a nation that came and invaded Israel, tore down the temple and took them out of their place, out of their home. And so the book begins with the Babylonian king saying to the Israelite leaders, send your people home. Go back and restore the way that you lived life. And he releases a group of Israelites and one Israelite leader. The first to go is the leader Zerubbabel. And he takes a group of people with him who are passionate about restoring the temple. They're going to restore that beautiful building where God's presence dwelled. And so he gathers people to serve in the temple. He gathers people who can literally build it, men and women of crafts, to fashion this temple again. And they return passionate and excited about going home. These people are changed. They've been living in Babylon for a long time, but their story, their heritage, the way that they've been brought up, that's still deep within them. And so they return to Jerusalem with that desire and hope to see the new Jerusalem come, what they've read about in the scriptures prior. And so they make their way there. But we read, although there was so much passion and hope, that when the temple was actually built, the older generation who had seen Solomon's temple prior, weep when this one is finished because it's not what it was. God's presence isn't there. It's not the same. They weep in pain. That hope to see it restored has not been fulfilled. Sixty years later, the Babylonians release another group of Israelites led by Ezra this time. and We read about it in chapters 7 and 10 of Ezra and he's passionate about bringing back order and life through spiritual revival by reading the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, to bring reform to the Israelites, to bring change. And so he returns excited about sharing that, wanting to preach that and teach it in the streets, at the temple, around the table in homes. But again, When he arrives in Israel, he sees that the people that have come back have been so marked by Babylon. They've adopted some of those practices. So even when he teaches the Torah, it's mixed in. There's confusion. They want to serve God, but they also are still living in the way as if they were in Babylon. And so it's this diluted um, expression of faith, and it brings Ezra grief and sadness. Again, that hope for a new Jerusalem, for them to shine to the other nations, is not coming it's not being fulfilled finally in the book of nehemiah the leader nehemiah arrives he is the third one to set out back to israel to bring restoration to bring this new jerusalem hope of vitality and growth his main agenda is to build the city walls he wants to protect this place he wants to restore it to fortify it to represent the authority and power of God and so he goes back and begins that process but you can tell there's a theme here unfortunately he finds out that the very people that are building his walls have been exploiting their fellow Israelites engaging in lending and selling that has enslaved them to one another again this brings grief This is actually a really difficult book to read because you get to the end and these leaders are frustrated and angry and so disappointed. Their social and political reforms have not brought the change that they hoped for. They think of passages from Isaiah and Ezekiel of the day that Israel will be restored, that God's presence will dwell and that all life will come from this place, that covenant that he gave to Abraham will be restored. But it doesn't happen. They are longing for that. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project writes about this and he says rather his experience, he's talking about Nehemiah, his experience is telling the truth about the human condition. Apparently the disaster of the exile did not accomplish the transformation of the human heart. Even grave consequences don't bring about the deep level of healing required to change the human disposition. What led Israel into exile? Turning from God, seeking other things apart from him, forgetting that covenant that God had made with them. What led them there is actually still just as present when they return, 50 years later, after an exile. As Jim he puts so clearly, even grave consequences don't bring about the deep level of healing required to change the human disposition. All those years away from home, hasn't brought the change. We will be fooling ourselves, friends, to not look at this and see how it speaks to us, how we are like the Israelites. Their experience was Babylon. That was their circumstances, coming back from an exile. Ours is a pandemic. But let's not get confused. This pandemic isn't what is going to bring change. That transformation, that desire to see things renewed, Pandemic has the opportunity to shape some of us in our habits. We've formed some great habits. We've learned some great things from this. Life will be different. But actually, the pandemic can only inform us. It can't bring that transformation. What do we learn from this text? Circumstances won't change us. Only God can. That's what happens at the end of this book in the Bible. They're looking for something. They're hoping for something that can bring that change. That something is God. And it's the same for us in this time. When this pandemic ends, our hope and our desire to see the world renewed, to see people in our lives renewed, that's going to remain. And God desires that. He brings that change. We have the opportunity and the gift of living in the time we do, That means that we get to fast forward to the New Testament. We know how God answers his deep longing. He sends Jesus. Jesus knows that the people of Israel, for their relationship to be restored, it's not going to be dependent on a new temple or a fortified city. The Torah is important and needed, but those things alone aren't going to bring the change, aren't going to make Israel return to adoring and loving God wholeheartedly. What needs to come is a new heart. And Jeremiah prophesied this. He said in Jeremiah 31, it's written, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Jeremiah shares this as the word of God. God saying to his people, I will give you a new heart. Things written on your lives that will speak of who I am, that will be so profound and so known that it can't help but declare who I am. And that's what Jesus does. Let's remember where he is. He is post-resurrection, he sits with God in the high places. He has authority and dominion over heaven and earth as we read about in the scriptures. And so when he brings healing, when he brings restoration to us, it is everlasting. Why? Because he has that authority and the things of the kingdom are. He has defeated all sin and all darkness. There is no circumstance that can change the healing that Jesus brings and the power of the kingdom. And so, as we sit in this place, as we reflect, it's important to remember that God is still sovereign. We are not the first generation to go through this, the first leaders to get it wrong, the first people to move away from God. There's a whole Bible, a whole story about this. But what does it look like to go through these experiences, to go through pandemics? to have things change, but also to re-anchor and learn what it means to grow in our trust and dependence on God. God has seen his church through many things and he will continue to do so. And so as we sat in the aftermath of realising this as a team, of the conviction that Holy Spirit brought and that space to confess and repent and release the church back to God, the questions that had been so prominent in our minds The questions around whether we'll be online or in person and what does it look like after the pandemic and what building will we have and how successful will it be and what happens to all the people. Those things started to lose their influence. The sound and the voices quieted down and a new question emerged. In that space and vulnerability before God, our question then became, Jesus, as your people in this time, how can we grow in our commitment Devotion and service to you. Allowing you to transform our hearts so that when we gather, whether that is two or more, Jesus, Father, Spirit, you are magnified in that moment. That's your church. a gathered people offering spiritual sacrifices in all parts of life at all times. Your dominion, your presence, your heart, made known, amplified, expanded by collective expression, your church. It was a key point for us. But not just for us. This is a question that we must all ask. This is the invitation that we all have, you and I, everyone who calls themselves a follower in this time or those who are yet to come. The invitation, the question that we all ask is, Jesus, as your people in this time, how can we grow in our commitment, in our devotion, in our service to you? How can we grow? We allow you to transform our hearts, to reflect the heart of God so that we gather, whether two or more, that is what's seen, that is what felt, that is what has experienced God's heart. We surrender all of our lives, providing space for God to bring renewal in every part at all times. And we submit to your dominion, your ruling. We dwell in your presence. We choose to place ourselves before you over and over again, knowing that we do that individually and when we do that corporately, that can't help but be seen and known and break out from us that collective expression, because we are your church. It is our lives for his vision. This is the question. This is the opportunity. This is what it means to follow Jesus in this time and place. And it is good. I'm so thankful Holy Spirit for the way that he illuminated this. And I think what makes this so profound and has such an effect on us as a team and us as a people is the ways that he has been doing this individually. If you ask pretty much the entire team, they each have a story of the way that Jesus has become more real in their life in the last 18 months. Different stories, different versions. I can only share mine, but we have been changed by this. Jesus has come to us. He's spoken to us. He's revealed new parts of who he is. I have shared before that last year was a really difficult time for me. I spent so much of that time trying to build my own little temple, going back to practices that I thought would bring God's presence and then cracking it when he didn't turn up. It took a long time. Again, circumstances I would have never orchestrated. Hours on my own to realise that it was my temple building, my attempts to find God's presence, until finally I got tired of doing it and it was in that space where Holy Spirit, time after time, and this has taken a while and will continue to, showed me that it was my agenda and invited me to just be still to trust that in the silence and in the solitude, God would do something, that he would turn up, whether I could feel it or not. Would I trust him to be the same God that I had read about, that I have known since I was a child, that Jesus had the power to bring the change? I am still learning this, but the opportunity and the gift, the point that I got to after wrestling with my worth and my identity, what am I doing, what I'm not doing, what does it look like when we come back? Same questions in a way. I came back to the gospel truth. I had to sit before Jesus and remember that my value has been forever declared because Jesus died for me. It was almost like being reacquainted with him, sitting before him, remembering that and that alone. All I have to offer, whether that is expressed in different ways through preaching or whatever else I do, really the best thing I can offer you, the best thing I can offer my friends, my family, is that life being transformed by Jesus. That is always going to be the best thing and that is what I am designed to step into, to bring myself before Jesus over and over again. Jesus, how can I grow in my commitment, my devotion, my service to you? I come before you. The best thing I have to offer and the best thing you have to offer is a transformed life, a life being shaped by Jesus' hands, heart and feet and his presence. That's the question. That's the opportunity we have. And so when we came back, as we've slowly done into church life, whatever that looks like, however you describe that, when we look at what it means to do ministry, it comes from that question. Everything begins in that place. Jesus, how do we create environments where we can cultivate our commitment, devotion, and service to you? How do we do that as a a team? How do we do that as a church? How do we partner with you? This is your work. The circumstances we find ourselves in, this pandemic, that is what drives how we do it in a way. That's how we put together the different processes or frameworks, the vehicles we use. But actually, the question remains the same. The opportunity is the same to come before Jesus. To create those spaces individually and corporately where we can be transformed by him, where our hearts can be written on by Jesus. So this discipleship philosophy, that's what this stems from. It's just a philosophy. It's a framework. It's one of those opportunities to come before Jesus. It comes from a lot of research, failures, innovations, thoughts, ideas we've had of what it means to follow Jesus in this time. We've put these things together. But actually what this fosters, what this creates, again, a framework is actually the process of consecration, which is a biblical um, teaching and thought and concept. Consecration is to be made holy, to be a living sacrifice, that's what a Baidu New Go does. It shapes and forms us so that Jesus can renew us and restore us so that we can go out. This holy, living sacrifice. But why? Why, why do we look at it this way? What does it look like to sit in a Baidu New Go? Why spend so long on it? I really like what um, David Kinneman writes when he describes what it looks like to be an exile in a foreign land. He says exiles throughout scripture participated in an identity-forming way of life. Exiles who remain faithful to their true home are important during times when society undergoes fundamental change, especially when the broader social stresses to conform reach a fever pitch. They play a critical role in reminding us how to stay on the path of faithfulness. I really love the way that he pinpoints that idea that we are called to engage in an identity-forming way of life. Who creates and speaks to our identity? Jesus. Why do we abide with him? So he can remind us of that, of the grace and the power of the gospel and what he did. That's an identity-forming way of life. That's why we do it day after day individually. That's why we do it on Sunday. That's why we do it in our huddles. That's why we do this. I also think it's incredibly profound. This statement, this book was written, Faith for Exiles, where this excerpt comes from before the pandemic. But aren't we reaching a bit of a fever pitch with the social and economic and cultural voices that we are facing in this time? What does the world need? People who are being transformed by Jesus as they live out this identity-forming way of life. Abide when you go is the way that we've put language to this. It's just opportunity to do that over and over again because we are the people of God who are designed to speak to the world around us, to participate with God in bringing his kingdom. And so looking forward, we are really excited together as Red Church, to continue to grow in this individually and corporately, as I've shared, to create an environment, to create processes, frameworks, opportunities, to do this together, to teach others, as it says in that scripture in Jeremiah, not having to just say who Jesus is, but modelling that in all that we do, that people will encounter it. And the gift and the power of us being on this side of Jesus' resurrection is like the exiles, we use the things of the law, the, the gift of those things, the way of life, but they're actually empowered by Holy Spirit. There's authority and, uh, yeah, change that comes because Jesus is in this. That was what they were missing, but that's what we walk out with. And so as the year goes on, as we continue to learn what it means to live in a pandemic, as we adapt and grow, we're excited about ways that we can continue to be transformed by Jesus, to do that on a Sunday all together, to do that in our huddles, to do that throughout our pastoral care, to do that in prayer and worship, in Alpha, in all that we do, in all spaces, allowing Him to transform our hearts as we surrender all of our lives so that we can be His church in this time. We are so excited for what this means and we look forward to doing that with you and seeing the way that He will transform you as we collectively express God's heart and vision for this time. It's so good to be a part of God's people with you.